Welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad this can be another tool for you. But if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. Cornerstone is in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Our young adult ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. We hope you are built up and spoken to through this message from Pastor Brandon. Last, last month I, I thought was, was awesome. And as Caroline announced before, if you haven't been able to, uh, if you weren't able to participate in our Guys Only Night with Scott Eulinger or our Girls Only Night with uh, Susan Lowry, uh, I was able to have conversations with both of them around those concepts um, on our podcast. So just Cornerstone Ministries, Young Adults, you can find that, uh, find this podcast, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Um, but go back and, and check out those conversations. But I'm excited to, to jump into this series um, because, guys, it, it's interesting. The concept of relationships, sex, love, dating, marriage, all that stuff, it's so heavily influxed into our lives as young adults, whether we realize it or not. Um, but here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word avon, um, which is where we get the word iniquity, it literally means to bend or to twist. So there are concepts within marriage and within dating, within love and sex, where we get these things bent out of shape, okay? And it, and it doesn't take much. Um, one of the first uh, projects that I worked on when my wife and I first bought our first home uh, was uh, with this tiny little master bathroom that was attached to our bedroom. Obviously, it's called a master bathroom. I don't know why I felt like I needed to explain that. Um, but we decided to rip out the shower, um, because honestly, the color of the shower looked like soggy fried chicken. That's the only way I could describe this tannish brown colored shower. It was disgusting. No matter how much you cleaned it, you still just saw this kind of like really nasty looking shower. So we ripped that out, started to tile it. And I remember working with my father-in-law on this, and it was actually a lot cheaper for us than to, to buy a kit, but to tile the whole thing, floor to ceiling. And starting at the bottom, working your way up, and he was, he was a stickler about it. I had never done tile work before, and he started showing me how to do it. But the problem is, especially when you're working up the wall, I mean, it happens on the floor too, but when you're working up the wall with tile, you get like a millimeter off, and then it turns into being off by like two or three inches as you work up the wall. And it didn't happen too often, but there are a couple times we had to pull back a layer or two because we realized, man, we're getting really kind of cattywampus here, and we had to go back. And the same is true with our understanding of these concepts. You can get just a little bit off when you're 10, and then you get to your teen years, and you realize, oh, shoot, I'm like a foot off from having like a good biblical understanding of love and dating and sex and all these different things. You hit your young adult years, and your concepts of marriage and why do I date and all these things just go completely out the window. So I wanted to try and almost get us back towards center, back towards, you know, God's alignment for some of these things. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you guys, some of this is, is going to be tricky. But before we really jump in here um, to this stuff, I, I, we have to kind of poke fun at things. We got to acknowledge some of the cliches within Christian dating. Anybody here ring by spring? Okay, if you go to any Christian college, there's just that, Maddie's already shaking her head yes, there's just that theme of, okay, well, you get there in the fall, then uh, I know for me, when I was at Liberty, we had brother-sister dorms, because it was guys' dorms and girls' dorms, so they would pair us up. 
Uh, and for football games, you tailgate with your sister dorm, you do activities with each other. It's not like they're trying to pair us up at all. Um, and they're like, here, here, here you go, guys. Welcome to a Christian school. Here are all these pretty college girls that are believers as well. And then, so the cliche is, you meet somebody freshman orientation, and then that girl's got a ring by spring. She's, she's engaged by the spring semester. Uh, what else? What else we got? Uh, I'm dating for marriage. Now, I'm not saying the cliches are always all bad. Ring by spring is. That's just unsafe. Don't, don't pursue that at all. Dating for marriage is a good one. Uh, being content. I had to be content in my singleness or in my season of life, whatever that might be. Like I said, they're not all bad. I'm guarding my heart. Okay, I had this, I had this uh, Old Testament professor, and he changed my view of the Old Testament, so I also took him for Genesis. But he had these lines, and I don't know if he was trying to be cheesy or cliche or if he was, like, hinting to give all the guys in the class, like, pickup lines. But he gave us these two lines, and they were... <laughs> Man, if, if there was, like, Pure Flix wasn't around then. If there was rom-coms on Pure Flix, these lines would be in those movies. The one was, he said, ladies, you should be so wrapped up in God's heart that a man has to pursue God in order to find you. And we're like, dang, that's a line if I ever heard one. And then the other one, it was, I'm going to mess this up, but it was, why did God take a rib from Adam? And it was, well, he didn't take from his head, lest woman would think she was higher than man. He didn't think, take from his feet, uh, lest man would trample over woman. But he took from his rib, close to his arm to be protected, close to his hand to be held, and close to his side to walk in unity. And it was like, shoot, this dude's spitting fire. <laughs> and you can see the guys like, no, 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 say that last line again, say that last line again. Uh, I'm guarding my heart. It, yeah, oh, I love this one. Your relationship's a triangle. As, as, you know, God's at the top. What? You know what, guys? Come on. I don't... Your relationship's a triangle. Um, <laughs> with God at the top. Uh, you know, as, as I pursue the Lord and as she pursues the Lord, we're going to end up getting closer and closer to each other. It's not that they're wrong. Um, and then, of course, like, oh, well, we're not really dating. We're, we're pursuing marriage. We're, you know, trying to make it, trying to make it more serious. Um, some of them are right, some of them are good, some of them not so much. So we got to be able to poke fun at this stuff. But guys, here's, here's the reality. Here's what we need to understand. Is that when it comes to Christian relationships, we kind of, it's not that we skew the, the spectrum, so to speak. But if almost 50% of all marriages end in divorce, you would think that, you know, all believers would have it a little more figured out, right? But what's interesting is within the church, 60% of infrequent attendees... Uh, those relationships end in divorce, and then 38% of regular, like consistent attendees in church. So the numbers aren't exactly that much, you know, they're not skewed that much for those who are believers and those who are not. And is it because we get this kind of off-kilter approach to relationships? And uh, that's where we kind of have to, like I said, get things back to, back to center. Because I'll be honest, there's a couple of specific things within Christian relationships that I struggle with. Because yes, within earthly marriages, or earthly, secular marriages, so to speak, uh, like the average age of marriage for men is 31, and then for women is 28. But then the average age for believers, it, depending on like your denomination, it kind of bounces around 23, 24. And some of you might think, well, that, that's, you know, isn't that a good thing that we're not putting off marriage and we're cohabitating, we're not cohabitating and all these other things? Uh, well, it kind of depends, right? It depends on your view of relationships. 
Because sometimes we kind of rush into marriage just because we think, I want to have sex. So if I can get married, that's going to help me stay pure. And that's going to make things so much easier, for, you know, in my walk with the Lord. So I, I kind of teased you guys with this question of, don't I deserve a, a spouse? And all of this is centered around this concept of what is God's actual design for pursuing a marriage? You know, this concept of, of love and dating or courtship, all these different words that are thrown around. But let's kind of get to the heartbeat of this. Is ultimately the, the definition of marriage is a formally recognized union. At least that's like the Google definition. The second one, here's what I think is interesting, is a combination of elements. So you think about this concept of two becoming one flesh. And one aspect of a marriage of things is a blending of those two things, two becoming one flesh. But here's where we ultimately need to land, is that marriage is a God-ordained covenant relationship between a man and a woman. A God-ordained covenant relationship. Ordained meaning set apart, distinguished. So this is a covenant created and set apart by God that then we as individuals sometimes get called into. There is this uh, guest speaker I had at w- in one of my classes in college And he made this kind of passing comment, and it kind of threw me for a second. And he said, you will never be ready for marriage. And that was a really confusing concept, because you think, well, wait a second. I mean, we're at this big Christian school. We have marriage conferences. We have all these different purity conferences, men's groups, guys' groups, girls' groups, all these these different groups and, and opportunities and resources to try and help draw us to a place where we're ready for these types of relationships and the depths of those relationships. And then for him to come into a class and say, nope, you're never going to be ready. And I was kind of taken aback for a second. You realize if this is a covenant that's been created by God that you and I just happen to be called into, if that's what the Lord has for us, how can we ever pretend to think we're going to understand the ramifications of that covenant until we're living in it. We can read book after book. We can do months and months and months of counseling and premarital counseling. And we might be able to have a framework of what marriage is. But even if you break down the most basic traditional view of a marriage vow in sickness and in health, I remember my wife absolutely mortified the first time I got sick after we got married. And this was about July. We got married in May. And then it was about July. I uh, was playing in this summer soccer league. And I did not drink enough water. I played for way too long. And I was definitely getting some heat stroke or something. And I was playing on the intramural fields at Lynchburg College, which was about 20 minutes from our apartment. And I'm driving back to our apartment. And I'm, I'm not feeling good at all. And I had nothing in me. I pull over on the side of the road. I throw up. I call my wife. And I'm like, when you hear me coming in, turn the shower on cold. Because I just needed to get straight into the shower. I was on the side of the road for maybe like 20 minutes just trying to gather myself, be like, have enough clarity, not be so dizzy. And then I was able to get home and I ran in. And then Lexi describes the next couple hours of her life as if her husband was having a demon, you know, exercised out of him. I'm like, I'm a very violent, sick person. Not like physically violent, like I just vomit very violently. But like you can't understand what it means to care for your spouse in sickness until you're living with them in a small apartment and you hear them in the next room in sickness. 
you can't fully process what it looks like to honor the marriage vow, to honor the covenant that the Lord has laid before you until you're sitting in your little apartment and you get a hot shower and then from the smoking of the previous owners, the walls are like perspirating yellow. <laughs> and then you start to process like, okay, this is that for richer, for poorer part. Like, how are we going to get through this? But there are certain elements to the covenant we're not going to be able to process because we didn't make it. We didn't write it. So marriage being a God-ordained covenant between a man and a woman, here's what we have to be careful of. In pursuit of that covenant, the concept of, of pursuing marriage, the concept of dating, we can't get that twisted. So here's what we're going to tackle is the fact that dating should not be recreational. Dating is not marriage. And dating is not the destination. And guys, I'm not going to lie to you. Some of these things might be a little confronting and frustrating. Uh, but they're tough truths that we have to dig into and look at. Because here's what happens. is Some of these you think, okay, that, that makes sense. But here's how we get just that millimeter offline. We get just a hair out of focus because we kind of let this prosperity gospel mindset creep in and we get this attitude of, I deserve it. You know, I, I love the Lord and God created Adam and Eve. He created sex, said it was good. So I, I deserve a spouse. Don't I deserve to, to be married? That's, that's owed to me. Right? Because God looked at Adam and said, it's not good that you should be alone. So he always planned for me to be married. Guys, we need to understand something. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The only thing you and I deserve is death. And here's what I mean. We get a little off kilter here, and we start to think, well, I love Jesus, and he's going to give me, he's, you know, those who trust in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart, right? So, oh, well, I love Jesus, so he's going to give me my dream job. And because I love Jesus, I'm going to get that spouse that I want. And because I love Jesus, I'm going to have the three kids I always wanted. And because I love Jesus, I'm going to have the home, the job, the spouse, the kids. And we kind of get this awkward, blended version of prosperity gospel with the American dream and then when those things don't happen, we go, God, why? You told me you were going to give me. No, he didn't. Where? Where in Scripture has he promised us any of those things? The only thing he's promised you in your sin is death. Anything beyond that is his grace and loving kindness toward you. This is the confronting part and the difficult part. Or at least one of them. Is you aren't owed anything. And Riley was even hitting this a little bit in our communion service, if you guys were here for that, was you get this mindset of like, oh, I, Jesus is so lucky to have me. So now that he's got me, he's going to bless me with all this stuff. But let's, let's get after this a little bit. First and foremost, dating is not recreational. Here's, okay, this one, this one is, it's not that it's tricky for me, but it's so interesting. The definition of, act, of recreation is activity done for enjoyment when one is not working. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that the Greek of that phrase, work out, it literally means to bring to completion. Now, this is not saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not, Paul is not talking about this idea of, hey, you need to, in a works-based idea, earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, in your salvation, you need to constantly pursue to be obedient to Christ. So to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when we end up dating for pleasure, we literally put our pursuit of righteousness on hold. And we say, I'm going to step outside of my holiness. I'm going to step outside of my pursuit of righteousness to date. And guys, this is a, this is a tough one. But there is, no, there is no status quo on this. There is no complacency on this. There is no kind of just holding the line. Either you are going to be in a relationship that motivates you and drives you towards Jesus or one that hinders you from. Okay, and this was me. The relationship that I was in before I started dating my wife, Lexi, me and this girl, we were together for two years. And we would hook up on the weekends and then we would go to the youth, to youth group on Sunday night. And we'd end up sitting on this little bench outside of the youth building in the church because they were two connected buildings like separated by maybe 10 yards. And we'd sit on this bench at least every other week. Hey, we got to stop. Hey, this, this isn't right. And it was repetitive again and again and again and again. When I finally ended that relationship, about eight months later, I invited Lexi to my senior prom. We started dating. And in my mind, I thought I had left the concept of dating for enjoyment, dating for pleasure, dating for recreation. I left that behind me. And even though that relationship with Lexi at the beginning was much more so moral, compared to that last relationship, I still was stepping outside of the fact that I was trying to find fulfillment in a relationship rather than trying to be fulfilled in Christ. And I still viewed that relationship as recreational. Even though we were doing way better as far as sexual purity, that relationship was still recreational for me. I wasn't dealing with my own junk. I wasn't working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And, and guys, we get off kilter with this, right? Because we get this in, in rom-coms, we get it in just any concept of relationship within the world. We get this kind of sweet, like, oh, I just want to marry my best friend. I just hope that, that I can marry my best friend. And we're going to be able to tell everything to each other, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best relationship I ever had. And I want to pause on that for a second, because here's what happens is we get this mindset, we see it in like 9 out of 10, you know, personalized wedding vows. You know, the groom is trying not to cry, but he is. I'm just, I'm so excited I get to marry my best friend. I don't even know, I can't remember what our vows were. Um, I remember, I thought I was being like slick about it, and the pastor asked, you know, Brandon, do you take Lexi as your 
lawfully ordered wife. And I thought like I was, it was kind of charming or something. I can't remember. But I kind of like looked at him all funny and paused. Like, are you seriously asking me a question? Yeah. But uh, like thinking back, the pause was a little too long. <laughs> and like I was trying to be clever with it or charming with it or whatever. Um, so trust me, I understand the cliches within the, within the wedding vows, but guys, I need you to kind of process this with me, like logically and theologically. If Jesus has the ability to reconcile and redeem any and all relationships, then can we really land on the theological truth that like, oh, I have to marry my best friend or it's not going to work? This has to be the person that I, like we have just so much in common now, I'm not saying that your marriage is supposed to be like slave labor. There is enjoyment in it. But if your motivation in pursuing marriage is simply recreational, like this isn't, oh, well, I'm in this relationship because it's no work for me. No, I don't care how much you have in common with the person. If you're going to be in a God-honoring marriage, it's going to be work. And if you don't figure that out while you're dating, man, prepare for that slap in the face about two weeks into the marriage. But there's this story of Martin Luther and, and, and Katharina von Bora. And Martin Luther was a theologian and, you know, really drove the, the Reformation. And there were these nuns who were starting to catch on to Martin Luther's teaching. And they were in the convent and the day before Easter in 1523, Martin Luther commissioned one of his buddies and he helped these nuns, about 12, 13 nuns, bust out of this convent. And he set it up to smuggle them out of the convent. I told this story once before and I accidentally said snuggle. <laughs> he snuggled the nuns out of the convent. I've heard this story uh, from another pastor and he made the same mistake and I thought, I'm not going to do that. And then I did it. But they hid the nuns amongst these fish barrels on this herring cart. This guy would deliver fish to the convent. And he smuggled these nuns out of this convent the day before Easter. And all these women, they start getting married off except for this one woman, Catherine von Bora. And in late 1524, Martin Luther said, like, no, marriage isn't for me. It's just not going to happen. But I don't know what it was or how the progression was, but, you know, Catherine von Bora just wore him down, apparently. Because then by June of 1525, they ended up getting married. Like, they, this was not some beautiful hallmark moment. He was 41, she was 26, okay, and she was pursuing him. You get these you looks like, mm, no. <laughs> and they end up kind of going into the ministry together. And here's what's interesting is Martin Luther had no desire to get married. And they have this very weird start to their relationship. But then you go on and, and Martin Luther describes and begins to start talking about Catherine. He refers to her as my Lord Katie, the morning star of Wittenberg. And he actually starts using kind of these beautiful little pet names that starts to show they built this beautiful affection for each other. They built this incredible marriage. They didn't go into this as like, you're my best friend, I can't wait to meet you at the altar. <laughs> That was, that was not the focus. That was not the goal. Now, yes, even though that can happen at times, even though the Lord does at times bless us with opportunities to pursue someone that we do have a lot in common with, and it can be extremely enjoyable. But at the end of this, 
If your relationship is not nurturing and aiding in your ability to work out your own salvation, then it is not going to lead to a holistic marriage. If that relationship is not nurturing or aiding your ability to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. So basically what we're, we're getting at here is say, as I'm pursuing marriage with this person, before they are my husband, before they are my wife, they're already making me more like Jesus. And I'm making them more like Jesus. And if that's not happening in your dating relationship, what is telling you that that's going to happen in your marriage? Second Corinthians 6.14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? That's one of the cliches I could have put on that first slide. You know, missionary dating, evangelistic dating. You start pursuing somebody because you have a lot in common with them. You enjoy them. They look good. But ultimately, they're not a believer. Or maybe they're just a creaster. They show up at a church on Christmas and Easter. I hope you guys have heard that phrase before. I heard that all the time growing up. Really? There you go. That's a new one. So guys, ultimately, dating should not be recreational. And we get that twisted. All right, but here's, here's the flip side of that. We say, hey, if I don't have a relationship that's nurturing or aiding in my ability to work out my own salvation, then I really got to find a God-honoring relationship. But here's what happens. We go too far to the extreme on the other end of the spectrum because dating is not marriage. Now remember, marriage is a God-ordained covenant. A God-ordained covenant. And there were two completely different types of relationships that I saw constantly while I was at Liberty. And you have this, you have this ring by spring mentality, like I said. So everybody's kind of coupling up and pairing up. And there was this running joke. You always had at least one guy on your hall who had met his future wife at least once a month. And you were so focused on that concept of pursuing marriage. So here's what would happen. You would see two completely different ends of the spectrum. You would see the dating is recreational. And you have this concept of, well, I got Jesus so we can throw boundaries, you know, completely out the window. And we can just do whatever we want to physically because, hey, we're going to get married anyway. And then you've got on the other end of the spectrum, you've got that hyper-spiritualized relationship. And I want to caution you with this one as well. Because this hyper-spiritualized relationship over here, I love this. Guys would come back, oh, dude, man, this girl, she loves Jesus. We've known each other about a week. We started this Bible study together. We're praying together. And I'm like, you're an idiot. I don't know what you're doing, but you're being dumb right now. And I want to give you Genesis 18, 19. And the Lord is speaking about what he wants to do with, with Abraham as he's kind of considering what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, for I have chosen him. I've chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. And we could go to, to another 20 different passages around the concept of a father being the spiritual leader of a household. And here's what I often struggle with when you get that hyper-spiritualized relationship. 
We're like, oh man, we're doing Bible studies together. We're praying together. We're doing all this stuff. Fellas, hear me on this. Don't you dare try to spiritually lead her until she says, I do. You are robbing from her father and placing yourself in a position in her life that the Lord has not placed you in. And then, well, but her dad's not really spiritually in their family. Okay, then as her brother in Christ, because that's all you are to her right now, you can help her seek older women in the faith to mentor her, because that ain't your job. And how foolish of us. We think that we can create such a deep connection of intimacy and then be able to resist the physical temptation that comes along with it. Because listen, here's what you're doing. You're saying, hey, we want to step into all of the beauty of a marriage relationship, but then we're going to abstain from the sexual stuff. (laughs) Good luck with that one. And you get these two completely opposite ends of the spectrum where you go over here and you think, okay, this is purely recreational. And they look good. We make a good match. And she's willing to do stuff that I want to do or he's willing to do stuff that I want to do. Or on the other end of the spectrum, you think, man, this is the most godly relationship I've ever been with. Now, guys, don't, make, don't get me wrong here. Lexi and I would pray together when we, got, when we went out for meals. I would pray for her. She would pray for me. In serious situations, we would sit down and pray together. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not an expert on this. That's actually one thing we're constantly trying to still work on and figure out is how do we balance, what does that look like for us studying the word together? But my calling to spiritually lead here does not mean that she and I have to sit down every night and we're going to read the Bible together. And some of the most beautiful moments in our marriage were, were moments where she came to me and prompted spiritual conversations, not because I wasn't prompting them, but because she felt led in something. Because guys, here's the the reality. Two becoming one flesh does not mean that your individual relationship with the Lord disappears. And what happens in this hyper-spiritualized relationship is you're creating a codependency in pursuing the Lord that cripples you and ultimately leads to idolatry. To say, I only know how to pursue the Lord with this person. So marriage should not be recreational. It is not marriage. If we start to think of it that way, what happens? It becomes an idol, and then dating ultimately becomes the destination. Now, I want to clarify something here. It is not a sin. It is not wrong to want a spouse, to desire a relationship. That is not a sinful feeling to have. To covet, to be jealous, to lust after, absolutely. But to say, hey, God, I really want a girlfriend. I really want a wife. God, I really want you to bring me a husband. To have those desires, to pray those prayers, those are not sinful things. But that marriage cannot be the destination we seek to arrive to. Here's what's interesting. The definition of destination. It's the place to which someone or something is going or being sent. And we need to understand that we are being sent into the world. And we are ultimately being called toward holiness. 
So track with me here. The goal of our sanctification is not matrimony. One of my roommates uh, during uh, when we were in seminary, we worked together, we played a lot of different sports together, and he was my best man. I ended up being his best man, but he entered into the relationship um, that is now his wife when he was around 25. And we get to school, and he sees all these cliches, the ring by spring, and he sees all these people, and the, the circles we run in, he and I both being called into ministry, what happens with, you know, I don't know what it is about guys and girls who are pursuing ministry, but we just find spouses young. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. And this buddy of mine, he was feeling so left out on things. And guys, listen, as you pursue Jesus, if the Lord has singleness for you, that does not make you a junior varsity believer. And then, oh, if, if I get married and have three kids, and then pff, that's, next, that's leveling up. Like, I just, I just leveled up. I'm now a varsity-level believer because I've got a family. And marriage is this beautiful representation of, of Christ in the church. And because I have that in my life, that makes me a, more, a better believer than somebody who's single. And that's completely and totally bogus, but, but sadly, there are so many of these little moments that are being spoken into our lives through the church. And I, there was this really powerful clip that I've, I've watched it quite a few times. And it was Jackie Hill Perry. And she really rose to prominence from her uh, one book, uh, Gay Girl, Good God. Because she lived a, a homosexual lifestyle, she repented of that, came to know Jesus, and a few years later, she got married to a man. They started having kids together, and they have this beautiful marriage and, and family. And she, there's this one clip of her talking about this. And she said, the applause was louder the day she got married versus the day she got saved. As if the marriage was a symbol of her no longer being gay. That her marriage was what was celebrated more than her repentance. And I think we've built up this idea in the evangelical church. And we, no, it's not like we're having young adult ministry speed dating events. But we build up this idea where, oh, you guys met in youth group. That's so beautiful. <laughs> like, oh, I see, I see these two. They're both in young adult. They both like each other. Like, oh, how awesome is that? And we like celebrate these little matchmaking moments in, in ministry. And there's nothing biblical in that. Now, am I not saying that we shouldn't rejoice in those moments? Yeah, of course we can. But guys, sometimes we get so off kilter with these things. We get it just a little twisted, sometimes really twisted. But 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 through 9, and, and Paul's giving these different principles for marriage. He says, now as a concession... He says, kind of like, listen, as an opinion, this isn't a command. I say this, I wish that all were as I am myself. And he's referencing saying single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Oh, I'm sorry, guys, I, I just skipped over a verse there. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say to this, I wish that all were as my, 
whereas I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And he's specifically referring to some have the gift of singleness and some have the gift of marriage. But he's emphasizing here both are a gift from God. Because your relationship status is not attributed to your level of holiness. Verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say this. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So guys, when we get to this, this idea, well, don't I deserve a spouse? My response to that would be, well, what is it that has been taught in you? What is it that has been raised up in you that would give you this mindset that you're a better Christian, that you're a better lover of Jesus if, you, if the Lord decides to bless you with a spouse? So guys, here's ultimately the reality. Here's the truth we got to get back to. In your pursuit of marriage, if you desire that, there's nothing sinful in wanting to pursue that. Now, I'm not saying I, and, uh, that you should, you know, be tracking down the opposite spouse, you know, like hiding in the, in the, the, the knit blankets in Target, like popping out, like, you want to go on a date? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. And I don't think the, the first date is like, hey, let's sit down. I'm going to interview you like, hey, how do you want to raise your kids? How many kids do you want to have? All this stuff. And then the second date is like, hey, I lined it up. We're trying six wedding cakes. It's going to be amazing. It is not sinful to desire to pursue those things. And I'm not necessarily encouraging you to walk around blindly just going like, I'm just going to be content in my singleness. I'm just not going to look at anybody of the opposite sex, and I'm just going to wander around alone. Woe is me, Lord, I love you. So it is not sinful to desire these things, but as you pursue these things, your pursuit of that marriage cannot be recreational. It cannot become marriage in and of itself. And if we're not careful, it's going to become this idle pursuit as if it's something we have to achieve. And whether or not the Lord decides to bless you with a spouse, if he does, you are called by God to be a good steward of that relationship. And if he doesn't, you learn to deny the flesh as any other sin. You learn to deny the flesh and fix your eyes on him and him alone. And that may not be a pleasant reality. But frankly, when you make your peace with that concept, it is a freeing one. So guys, let's pray together. Father, I praise you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how you encourage us. You encourage us with it but you also challenge us and convict us with it. And Lord, you've created a, a beautiful relationship for us to pursue. But for some of us, Lord, you may not place that burden on our heart. It may not be something we feel the need to pursue. 
And it may not be something that you have for us. But Lord, that depth of intimacy, apart from the physical intimacy, we are able to find beautiful relationships through friendship. We can find beautiful intimacy through friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that none of us, none of these young adults would walk away with this feeling of missing out. If I don't, if I don't get married, I'm going to miss out on all that you have for me. Nothing's further from the truth. So Lord, we thank you for our time in your word. And we ask that as you give us opportunity, if you lead us to pursue a marriage relationship, you would help us pursue a relationship that nurtures and aids our salvation. It helps us pursue you rather than hinders us. So Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information for the Young Adult Ministry, follow us on Instagram, or you can email youngadults at cornerstonelive.net.